Welcome to the I Also Want Money podcast, where our mission is to democratize, demystify, and demasculinize making money. I'm your host, Nicole Kyle, and I'm here with my co-host, Sophie Holm, and ally, Harrison Comfort. So Harrison, Sophie, you guys know this about me, but one of the reasons it took me so long to get started investing, and even still, I'm not super sophisticated with it yet, uh, but the reason it took me so long is I'm afraid. I'm afraid of losing money. I'm afraid of making a mistake. And that fear definitely creates a sense of inertia, right? It's it's very real. Uh, and getting started with investing is, is hard as a result. So that's why I'm really excited to have Dr. Jane on the podcast today. I know she's going to talk us through ways of overcoming that inertia. She's going to talk to us about the link between confidence and investing. Uh, and uh, I think I'm, I'm really excited to hear her talk about how starting small is the best way to get started. Dr. Jane, thank you so much for being with us here today. An absolute pleasure to be here. So we know women aren't as active in the investing space and as active in growing their wealth as they should be. We've also been exploring throughout this podcast how society has conditioned us to be okay with that. From a psychological perspective, Dr. Jane, why is that the case? The thing that awoke me to this, and I am somebody who is a psychologist, and it was before I'd kind of got particularly involved in uh, financial psychology, uh, is I was married and uh, I thought I was relatively happily married. I was a good income earner. My ex-husband was a good income earner. All was well. And um, as you do, you get very complacent in marriage all the money went into his bank account. That's just how it was. Uh, anyway, for various reasons, I left him and that was it. Within half an hour, he'd taken my name off bank account, signing powers off everything. And I literally walked out of a marriage with the money that was sitting in my purse and two very, very small children. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, I know I'm going to be earning money, but at that stage, I'd literally been taken so by surprise. There was no forward preparation financially. I mean, it just had never dawned on me, um, especially as I had ordinarily earned more than him. Um, it was literally that even that three or four weeks until my next salary check came through that was an absolute nightmare. And suddenly I'd walked away from the family home. I'd walked away from all of our assets, everything, and literally was starting from scratch with two little children. And I remember thinking, you never thought you'd be in this situation. But sometimes we have to plan assuming the worst and then be very happily surprised when everything turns out for the best. I'd rather be over-prepared and not need it. As women, we've almost got an extra obligation because we know that for many of us, we are going to interrupt our career. And we need to make those plans as well as you know, the normal plans that, that uh, most of the men around us uh, need to make. And generally speaking, if you are going to be a single parent, very often still it's the woman who ends up being a single parent and has that responsibility as well. So it's, it very, very quickly woke me up to the fact that I needed to not be complacent. But I think the thing is that what happens is I was in a position where I didn't have the luxury of time and I didn't have the luxury to feel the fear of how was I going to do this. I had to make a plan. I had to strip away all of that uncertainty and, oh, do I know enough? I had to just get on with it and do it and literally learn by hands-on experience. Um, and I think actually 
that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And very often the best thing that happens to women when it comes to their financial planning is getting a huge big wake up call and going, whoa, I need to step up and take control. What I do find is the complacency comes in with women who haven't yet been in that situation. And it's not that they don't want to plan. It's just that it has never dawned on them. The sentence or the quote, do I know enough? How do we break that mental barrier down? Because as a guy, sometimes when it comes to investing, there's a culture of just do it and figure it out later. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's not helped by the fact that us women, and I'm sure it comes from the fact that we always feel responsible for everybody. And unfortunately, I think the perception is a little bit like financial advisors are like car repair people. They see women as the, oh, she doesn't really know that much. So maybe this is my opportunity to sort of, you know, do something a little bit um, less kosher, shall we say. Um, whereas with men, I think there's that, okay, don't, don't take advantage of me because you and I are going to look each other in the eye and we're going to make sure that we do this as right as we possibly can. And I think you're right, Harrison. I mean, men don't go into investment just because they know all about it. They go into it thinking, I will learn about it as I do it. Um, for women, it's, it should be exactly the same. Yeah, I think what you're talking about there is the risk aversion, right, that plagues so many of us. Do you have any advice for overcoming that risk aversion? I worked with a, a, a manager when I was very young. I was literally 17 or 18. And I remember sitting having lunch with him and he was saying that he had always advised his daughter from the minute she earned her first salary check as a part-time waitress to put 10% aside and save it. And that if that's all that she did for all of her life, she'd find her life was so much easier. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, what a wonderful idea. Anyway, I got to meet the daughter and it was a wonderful idea. I literally watched a woman who was able to buy a house in her own name, in cash, in her early 20s, and who had who'd developed that saving mentality. But I think what was interesting talking to her is her dad hadn't just said, listen, stash it under a mattress and, you know, maybe one day you can whip it out and do something with it. He'd gone, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And what he'd done is he'd gone, you know what, so let's imagine your your waitress one you know 10 percent of your salary as a waitress is you know a hundred pounds a month right split it into five parts what are you going to invest that 20 pounds in what are you going to invest that 20 pounds in and literally test the waters see how all of these different markets or different investment ideas perform put that one in a bank put that one in a unit trust invest that one in stocks or shares stick that one under the mattress and see for yourself what works best for you um, and it just so happened, she, her specific interests uh, were very much, once again, in South Africa, among, uh, around wines and cheeses and all of these sort of luxury products. And she started investing in, in startup wineries and things like that because she was given the power very early on to trust her intuition and go with something that she loved. Um, and, and therefore, she was able to take real uh, interest in her investment because it wasn't in, in areas that she was interested in. And that's an interesting way of doing it. You know, I think we've got two pieces of the conversation we probably need to be dealing with here. One, how we're going to overcome our psychological barriers. And two, how we can raise our children to not have those psychological barriers in the first place. How big is trusting your intuition when you find something that you think is a good idea in terms of getting over the fear of making an investment? 
I think women are very tuned into their intuition as a matter of course. Um, and I think we tend to trust our intuition more when we go, oh, I'm not sure about that person or I'm not sure about that investment. If someone tells me to follow my intuition when it comes to finances, I'm not doing it. But does your intuition ever tell you, hey, this could be a good thing? Or is it always this investment is just terrible? No, no. I, I think what I'm saying is you need, I think you need a baseline sense of, fine, of literacy in something before you can have intuition about it. Like, for example, I have intuition about hiring decisions because I work with people every day, but I don't have intuition about stocks because I don't have a lot of exposure at this point. I think that's a great point. I think you need some baseline exposure and some experience with something before you can have an intuition. But it's an interesting thing that you say, Harrison, because I think we forget to look at when our intuition is going, mm, that actually does sound like a good idea. Or maybe this is somebody that I can listen to and I can trust. Um, so once again, it's overcoming that caution, which we have, but we tend to use it against ourselves sometimes. Jane, I love that story about your manager's daughter because it signals two very important things. The first is starting small is okay, and that's one of the best ways to get started. And secondly, it signals invest in things you're interested in. It'll be more fun that way. It'll be more engaged. And it kind of says to me, you know, we don't have to invest the same way the guys do, or we don't have to invest like anyone else. Invest in a way that's interesting and fun for you. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, I mean, there are so many different places that you can put your money. You can invest in hard assets. You can invest in stocks or shares. You can invest in all sorts of different various bank accounts and savings accounts. You can invest in startup businesses. You can invest in so many different areas. But if you invest in areas that really don't resonate with you, you're always going to have that fear attached to that money or you're just not going to bother to track it because you just think, I don't understand it. So I hope somebody's keeping an eye on it and making sure that I've got something at the end of this five-year or 10-year period or whatever it is you've decided to sort of invest in that area. If it's something that you can be interested enough to go, wow, this is an interesting area. Oh my goodness, it does seem to be doing well. And it becomes a fun thing to do. You know, we talk about, always talk about having your money working for you, but how wonderful to watch your money working for you. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to get into the mindset of investing and starting to get familiar with some of the terminology that's used in the industry. Personally, I recently have been getting really into the photography market and made uh, two actually investments in that space, which I'm really, really excited about, but definitely helps me kind of think about alternative routes and just getting me excited about also some of the more traditional um, investment options out there. Jane, how does understanding our psychological and emotional why behind our decisions, how does that help us on our investment journey and our risk approach? I think our why decision is important for every journey that we ever take. Once we understand why we're making any decision or taking any actions in our lives, we're going to embrace it and do it differently because we're doing it from an, we're internalizing something. So what we want to be doing with investment is we want to internalize our, our need to invest. We want to understand why we're doing it. Um, I mean, I know you are talking about your I also uh, sort of theme and I think um, you know, what's my I also theme? And my thing is that I want to make my life decisions from a place of financial ease. 
you make decisions very differently when you're not desperate about those decisions, when you're doing it from a place of personal security. So largely our confidence as people is linked to our financial security. It's just how we are uh, because we're programmed to be providers. We're, we're programmed that way. Um, so if we can understand that our why for making sensible financial investment decisions is not just to have that financial security, but to build our own sense of self, our own sense of self-esteem, our own self-confidence. If you've made some great investments and they're really paying off, I promise you feel a million dollars about yourself. When you went through some of those financial hardships and you were entering into your journey to become financially independent, how important was community and conversation in, in that journey? When I started my, okay, I have to make my own life more financially secure, I didn't really have anybody to talk to. So it was literally me in the wilderness trying to kind of, you know, figure out where I'm going and what I'm doing. But it's a very interesting thing because as I started making little forays, little steps into that arena, I was meeting more and more people who shared my ethos, male and female, every age group. But I was meeting people who weren't afraid of their own money. And that was a very, very key ingredient. I was meeting people that weren't going, oh, income, oh, expenditure, oh, my God. They were literally embracing money and they were going, oh, my God, yes, I do this with my money and I do that with my money. And suddenly money stopped feeling scary and started feeling like a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool to, to utilize and, and make life better for yourself or to not make life better for yourself. And it was it was the conversation, it was mixing with people who knew more than I did and could share their knowledge and share their expertise and share their life experiences that made me feel more confident with my approach to my money and to realize that actually, yes, it is a tool. All of us can earn it. Money is out there to be earned every single day. It's actually lying on the streets. We just have to know how we're going to choose to pick it up, what particular career path we're going to use to pick that money up. And then once we've picked it up, where do, where do we put it? It's in our hands. We can spend it. We can save it. We can burn it if we like. But it's, it's such an exciting thing to think, oh, my God, look at this incredible raw material that money is. What am I going to create with it? And that's what it becomes. It becomes something exciting. It becomes something you can be as creative as you like about. Um, and it starts generating its own excitement, which I never, ever thought I'd have. I always thought money would be a you know, spend this, save this, be careful here, be careful there. And instead it opened, it opened my eyes to the fact it's a playground. How do you know when you have enough money to step into that playground? And just a side note, I wish there was more money laying around in the street. Um, just going to get the groceries, picking up a couple of hundred pounds would be, would be awesome. <laughs> it's, it's there. It just needs to be picked up by you and you'll find your ways to pick it up. But I think the thing is that the other thing we do is we go, okay, how much will I need to have in my bank account to comfortably retire, knowing that I never have to rely on anyone or any potential state pension or anything like that? What do I need in my bank account? And exactly what you said is a it depends on your lifestyle and depends on your expense base. I mean, we've all got a different number, what that magic number is. But what we do is we sit there going, oh, okay, well, if I had, a, if I had two million pounds in the bank, I'd feel very comfortable and very secure. Wow. 
over the last three months, I've managed to save a thousand pounds. I'm a long way short of this lofty goal that I have. And so we almost feel like we have to have a minimum amount before we can be serious about money. But it's like any set of stairs to get to the top of the stairs, you've got to take the first step and then you've got to take the second step. And then you've got to take the third step. And do you know what? If you end up retiring and you've got 500,000 pounds in the bank and not 2 million, I guarantee you're going to feel a whole lot better than having no thousand pounds in the bank because you never took that first step. Do you have any advice for how to stop psyching ourselves out of investing? I, I know for me, that happens all the time. Uh, there's this mental calculus in my brain about, you know, is, is the risk of failing worth the, the effort to put in and the chance of having a reward? And um, I, I think that really just results in me procrastinating, right? I, I procrastinate on starting my wealth journey because I'm scared of failing. You know, if you decide you want to learn a new language or you want to learn how to play a musical instrument, you're not going to sit and do it 24 hours a day and think, oh, my God, this is a huge, big, onerous thing that I'm doing. You think, well, if I learn 10 new words a day, by the end of the week, I'm going to have 17 new words. If I learn one scale on the piano this week, then I understand that scale, that scale, and that scale are going to be something I'm going to have accomplished and understood before the end of the month. So it's not about setting aside a whole lot of time it's about taking an amount of time all the time and we do waste so much time on distracting behaviors read some articles speak to some people um, join twitter accounts or join forums that are full of people who are thinking the same way not necessarily investment experts because you'll feel intimidated and you're kind of unwelcome and it's going to be your perception not their perception dr jane thank you so much for being here with us on this podcast today we really enjoyed it and you know appreciate your time and insights absolute pleasure talking to all of you and i look forward to talking to you again sometime soon i i really liked her point around uh, women being programmed to be providers it just, it makes a lot of sense and it really helps you contextualize and put things into perspective. Yeah, and it's interesting because society tries to gender this notion of provider, right? But I think Jane's point is such a good one around women need to embrace their provider-ness and right. start investing. Mm, I agree. And the other big one for me here is just how important your confidence level is or how much it's affected by increased financial literacy. So I definitely felt that starting my own journey, you know, getting involved and starting to invest and starting to make my money work for me, it definitely has impacted my overall confidence levels. Yeah. And, and the last point I'm really taking away is that starting small is okay. And, you know, yeah. we can't wait for these huge catastrophic events to start. Uh, we, we've got to start now. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, join us in the I Also movement. This means take to your social platforms and post a hashtag I Also statement. Follow us on Instagram at I Also Podcast. And of course, subscribe. This podcast is produced by Harrison Comfort and the theme tune is by Malin Linnea.